Now we, for the past several Sundays, we've been looking at the specific kinds of changes that Jesus brings to our lives as we follow him. These are called fruits of the Spirit. They grow in our lives. The Holy Spirit grows these in our lives, just like fruit grows on a tree over time. Now, the quality we're looking at today is faithfulness, and I've asked Jody Graham to speak to us on this topic. I can think of few people more qualified to speak on the topic of faithfulness. Jody and her husband, Dale, have been faithfully serving for, at Seabreeze for next month will be 30 years. So they've been here about a year, year longer than I have, so for about 30 years. Jody in the past was on staff here at Seabreeze, and her husband Dale is currently on staff as our care pastor. So as Jody comes to speak to us on this important topic, I want to ask you to make sure that your phones are either off or put on silent mode. I know you think you did it when you came in, but just double check to make sure that they're on silent so you don't distract anyone uh, during this message. And then you can take out the program, just turn to the inside, the listening guide, that'll help you follow along this morning as Jody speaks. Jody? Good morning. A friend gave me this bowl many years ago, and if you could see it closely, that's why I added a photograph, it has the fruits of the Spirit around the edge of the bowl. And um, as you recall, these fruits are, and I'll read them to you again, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, she was a really thoughtful gift giver. But I've often wondered if there was a companion bowl <laughs> that would have gone here, and it would have contained the list of, that goes along with this list, of the acts of the sinful nature. Um, if you see them on the list here, you see there are more of them. And I kind of envision this bowl might have a horn or something. It's got to look different than this one. But this list says that the acts of the flesh are sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idol, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Wow. If I could produce even like a hologram of this is what a person looks like with these qualities and this is what a person looks like with these qualities, that would be interesting too. But what Paul is saying is not that like this is a kind of person and this is a kind of person. He's saying these two, they live in me. These are not two separate people. These are things that are inside my own heart. And I know it. I feel it. I feel the conflict. And I'm thinking maybe you do too. In um, Galatians 5, Paul goes on to describe that what is here. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit. And the spirit what's contrary to the flesh. That they're in conflict with each other. That's why when we talk about this fruit and when it's peeled back, well, when it's peeled back, we see both of these. So during this series where we've been talking about the fruit of the Spirit, I have just been praying, God, I want more of this. In fact, I've even prayed, just zap me. Give it to me all. I want, I want this, not this to be a part of my life. But as I've prayed that zap me prayer and what I've been hearing in the sermons that we've heard, is God is not a zapping kind of God. He's a walk with me kind of God. Um, in Galatians 5, 24 and 25, that comes right after this list, 
It says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. We've been talking about fruit, and when I think about a fruit tree, even though I understand a little bit about the biology of how a tree grows, it's still a little bit of a mystery to me. But one thing I know for sure is if I don't water that tree, if I don't nourish it, it will not grow no matter what's going on the inside. So I think we can be confident that God is at work in us, and then we're going to partner with him to nurture this fruit. So that's my beginning prayer. I'm saying to God, I want all of this. And he's saying, I want you to have it too. But he's also saying, you have to take a part in that and nourishing it. So how are we going to nourish this part of the fruit called faithfulness? Well, here's my problem, naturally. I'm naturally a quitter. I like to quit. Um, I quit piano because I wanted to play basketball. I quit basketball when I saw I didn't have a future in basketball. Um, then I joined the band and then I quit the band because they wanted me to raise uh, funds for the band. And I realized that all that happened before high school, but, um, or before I graduated from high school. But here's the truth. Every role and responsibility I've ever had, I've considered quitting. And I, I want to send out my apologies if I'm currently serving with you somewhere here at Seabreeze. <laughs> or if I'm married to you or if I'm your mother. So, But I've considered quitting. And I think quitting means I get to decide. This is it. I'm done. And faithfulness, what, where's the finish line for faithfulness? To me, it looks like it is the end of my life, and that feels like a lot of work. And so I really need God's Spirit to work faithfulness in me. You know, sometimes I, um, I follow through with my commitments because I'm working with someone and I don't want to let them down. But really, the most motivating thing about faithfulness is God's faithfulness to me. And if he's not faithful to me, there's no point in me being faithful. But if he is faithful, then I'm called to be faithful. And I really want to be faithful all the days of my life. So on your outline, I want to share with you two things that really help me in this journey of faithfulness. And one of them is focusing on the faithfulness of God. And the other one are certain habits that we can develop in order to be more faithful. Now, the faithfulness of God is arguably one of the biggest themes in the Bible. I mean, it's, it's an overarching theme. There, almost every story, every book of the Bible has something about God's faithfulness. It's, it's so overarching. I asked Ryan, our creative director, to kind of help me come up with a way to describe this, and he came up with this diagram where you see the open Bible and that God's faithfulness is just an arch over that. Um, because there's so many different stories, I had a difficult time even thinking about what, what story, what verse are we going to talk about for God's faithfulness. So I, I chose this one that's very personal to me, um, and I think you'll see why. It's from Isaiah 49, verse 15. It says, Never can a mother forget her nursing child. Can she feel no love for the child she has born? But even if that were possible, I would not forget you. So God uses this example of a young mother saying, 
can young mothers forget their babies? No, never. And he's saying, even if it were, even if it's slightly possible, occasionally you hear of this, I could never forget. Well, this verse became really personal, personal to me because I'm an adoptive mother. And my oldest son was born on a Monday, 25 years ago in the month of April. And he was born on a Monday, but I didn't see him or touch him or hold him until Tuesday. Now, I know that doesn't seem like a long time to you, but for me, that day bothered me. It bothered me that he had been alive on Monday and that I hadn't been there with him. And so when I turned my calendar over from April to May, this verse was there. And I read it. Can a mother forget her nursing child? Can she feel no love for the child she's born? It was like God was saying to me, you weren't there, but I was there. I was there. It doesn't matter that you weren't there. God was saying, my faithfulness preceded yours. It supersedes yours. I'll be there every day for him. And it was such a personal statement to me that sometimes I forget that it wasn't written just to me. Um, but it wasn't. It was written to a group of people who lived during probably one of the most difficult times in the history of the Old Testament called the exile. When they were deported, they were in another country, and they were wondering, God, have you forgotten us? But God says, it's impossible for me to forget. Um, you know, God's faithfulness is something I don't think we completely understand sometimes because we're not always able to be faithful and people aren't always to be faithful, but there are two things about God that make him faithful in a way that we don't understand. One is he knows everything. Look at James 4. It says, why do you even, speaking to myself, why you don't even know what will happen tomorrow? What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. You know, I may say to you, I'll meet you Tuesday for lunch, but I don't really know if I can make it. I'm going to plan on it, but God's not like that. He doesn't say he's going to do something and then not do it because he knows all. And then secondly, God cannot lie. Hebrews 6, 18 and other verses say, So God has given both his promise and his oath, and these two things are unchangeable because it's impossible for God to lie. He doesn't just not tell the truth. It means he's, he's completely reliable. He's full of integrity. He doesn't do one thing and say another. So we can depend on God because he doesn't lie and he knows everything. Here's what's interesting, though. While the faithfulness of God is this overarching theme, do you know what is the sub-theme or the parallel theme to the faithfulness of God? It's the people of God and all of us saying, is God faithful? The verse that I shared with you that was my special verse, the verse above that in 14 is the people of God are saying, it says, yet Jerusalem says, the Lord has deserted us. The Lord has forgotten us. The people are questioning God's faithfulness, just like we do when times are difficult, when times are low, we question the faithfulness of God. Um, probably about 15 years ago, I um, went to visit uh, a friend of mine in the hospital. And um, she had cancer, and she was fighting it once again. 
And she was one of those people, like you've known people like this, who you go to see them to encourage them, but they're so positive and encouraging that you leave and you know, you're the one that's encouraged. And she was that kind of person. So, but this particular time when I went to see her, when I got there, I could tell she wanted to talk about something. And she leaned into me and she said, you know how I've always felt God's presence? And I said, yes. I mean, that's why I love to come see you. And she said, but I don't feel it today. And I didn't feel it yesterday. And if there could have been like, if it had been like a movie and there was like a freeze frame, this is when I would have turned to God and said, what are you thinking? Why would you not be completely present with this woman as she's struggling with cancer? But I, 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 I got back to my friend and we talked about the promises of the faithfulness of God. And I'm really glad to say that a few days later we talked again and she said, I'm back on track. I'm, I'm focusing on God's faithfulness. Um, but what I love about this verse being in the Bible or these questions being in the Bible about God's faithfulness is it gives me a lot of faith that God is okay with us asking that question. I mean, the Bible is his book. He can put anything in there he wants to. And he allows these questions to stand. So if he allows these questions to stand, then I'm thinking it's okay for me to question. And what's even better is it makes me think his faithfulness is strong enough to stand up to my questions. Now, I'll agree conversations with friends who have questions about God's faithfulness are really difficult. And I wish I could say every friend called me back in a few days and said, I'm back on track. But that's not true. People get disheartened about God's faithfulness and they feel forgotten. That's why on your outline I, I wrote that God's faithfulness to us are demonstrated by his ability to keep our prom his promises, by promises kept. So God's faithfulness is demonstrated by promises kept. So on the, on the diagram that I've been looking at, I added this word promises right over the Bible. Because faithfulness is measured in our ability to keep our promises. And in fact, when I'm questioning God's faithfulness to me, that should alert me. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm thinking about a promise or leaning on a promise that really God hasn't made. It's like when I have a disagreement with a friend or something's wrong in a relationship, it's good for me to ask, well, what am I counting on this person for that they're not doing or that I'm um, holding them to that they're not able to do? So what I thought I would do today is share with you three promises that um, I really hold on to. And I know that there's, there are little books, you know, that are like the promises of God. But I'm just going to share with you three because sometimes I think there's like this imaginary book called Promises to Jody that I get caught up in. <laughs> that they're maybe not biblical. They're maybe not God's true promises. They're just things I think he should be doing for me. So I'm going to share with you three things, three promises that I really hold on to that are central to, um, to really believing in God's faithfulness. So the first one is that God solved my biggest problem. Now, this statement came up a few months ago when Ethan, our children's pastor, was talking. And I was sitting over here in my usual spot during second service. And I was trying to listen to Ethan but I was also in the process of solving a problem. <laughs> and I was, uh, it's funny, it was a problem that I had not been able to solve, and I'd probably 
tried to solve 400 times before. But I'm trying to listen to Ethan. I'm trying to solve my problem. And I hear Ethan say, God has solved your biggest problem. Well, it really got my attention because I was interested. I was thinking, sitting there thinking, that thing was my biggest problem. But Ethan reminded me that God has solved my biggest problem, which is he repaired my broken relationship with God. That is my biggest problem. Um, Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. As a sinner, I'm completely unable to solve this problem of a broken relationship with God. And this is an amazing promise that he solved our biggest problem, that he repaired this broken relationship. Um, I wish it really gave me a lot more courage all the time. In fact, I was thinking if we were in growth group right now, if we were in a growth group session, I'd love to talk about what is it about this promise that I'm not holding on to? And how can I appreciate this promise more? And how would having this perspective completely change my, um, my thoughts about my problems? Even now I've used it as I'm dealing with a problem. I'll say to myself, as I'm deep into a problem, I'll say, oh yeah, but remember, God has solved my biggest problem, which was my break in relationship with him. Um, I really wish for all of you that you'd, you'd give this more thought because I do think it is, it is a life-changing perspective. But here's the second promise God gives to me. God is with me. It's not that my other problems aren't important to God. In fact, they are. And what he's saying is, I solved your biggest problem, and I'm with you in all your other problems. Um, Psalm 23, 4 says, Even if I walk through the darkest valley, you are there. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. God's saying, in the midst of every problem, every difficulty, I'm there with you. You know, if I asked you, who's your most faithful friend, or why are they your most faithful friend, I doubt very seriously you would say, well, she, she always solves all my problems. No, you would say, she is always there for me. And that, that's, that's what God wants us to know. He's always there for us. He is with us. The last promise that I really try to hold on to is not only does he promise to be with me, but he says, I'll be with him forever. Um, Psalm 23, 6 says, Surely your goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, this idea that I'm going to be with God in heaven is another promise I don't think about enough, but I need to, because heaven is our reward for faithfulness. It's good for me to, to, promise, to focus on the promise of heaven. You know, heaven is a place where we'll have no more problems, no more of this sin, uh, no more pain, no more loss, no more disappointment, amended heart, beauty beyond imagine. I personally like to think that in heaven, I'll be able to go to classes and get my questions answered, which there I have a lot of questions. My husband Dale tells me there's not going to be any school in his heaven, but I'm kind of fine with a few continuing ed classes. Um, but I'll assure you there will not be a class on faithfulness. We won't need it. It will be so evident to us 
who God is. We won't need faith. We won't need a class on how to continue to be faithful because the faithfulness of God will be evident to us. It'll be evident to us of how it was true our whole lives. The other beautiful thing about heaven is we'll see Jesus. You know, it's interesting. We've heard about him. We've read about him. We've talked about him. We sing about him, but we've never seen him. And when we get to heaven, we will see him. We'll get to go to lunch with him. This is the promise that we have. Now, I wanted to share these three promises with you because I want to be honest. I wish I woke up every single day fired up about the faithfulness of God, but I don't. I'd be embarrassed to tell you how often I have to regroup, rethink, refocus on God. That's one reason why I tried to stack these verses in the 23rd Psalm. Because even the first verse of the 23rd Psalm that says, the Lord is my shepherd, is to me kind of equivalent to how God has solved my biggest problems. But this is a beautiful Psalm. It may be the most familiar Psalm. And our, I, I like to lean on it because the promises of God are packed in there. And I just want to encourage you to use that as a place to remind yourself. So now if, if I can be confident of God's faithfulness, I still need to build habits into my life about the faithfulness of God. And last week, Bevan, our pastor, spoke about the power of habits. Not that habits um, were the end all, but that we could use habits to help us nurture our faith. And I recently read a book about the habits of faithfulness and it was written by a college professor. And the reason he wrote the book was because he was concerned about college students and that they would build a faith in their 20s that would last their whole life. And that book was really interesting to me. I'm a mother of 20-somethings. I volunteer in the high school ministry. And I, I would really love a formula that would help young people build faith and then build it for their entire life. And so this book really caught my eye. And what he did was, this professor, he interviewed people who were 20, 30 years after college and asked them, what kind of habits do you have in your life to help you be faithful? And he said there were three that were always in each of these people's lives. So, in fact, he does this seminar for college students where he goes over a day with each of these habits. And when I read it, I thought, well, these just aren't good for college students. I, I can use these. These are good for me. So I want to share them with you, and um, hopefully we can use these habits. So the first one, the first habit he recommends is to develop a Christian worldview. And a worldview is how I look at the world. And what he's talking about is having a view, a Christian worldview, so that God is a part of every part of your life, your personal life, your public life, your financial life, your relationships. You don't just have God over here. You, he's a part of every part of your life. Um, this was what Jesus, this was the worldview Jesus gave us in Mark 12, 30. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. It's like every part of you. Um, it's important. In high school ministry, one of the things we like to say to high school students is, you know, God's just not important to you on Sunday, but 
you want him to be important to you every day of your life. And when a high school student says, God's with me at school, well, first of all, I want to say, thank you, Jesus, for going to high school. But when they say, God is with me, that tells me that's the beginning of a worldview. They see God more than just on Sundays. They see him in all parts of their life. Um, it's a habit you want to develop because if you think there's an area of your life where God's not interested, God's not concerned, or that God can't help you, that, that's a crack in your faithfulness. For me, I know I'm still developing a Christian worldview because sometimes I have problems and difficulties that I'm, I'm a couple of days into it before I really stop to ask, what does God have to say about this? I, I surprise myself sometimes when I have to say, why didn't you think about what God might say about this? So I'm still developing a worldview, and I think we all are. And probably the most important habit to developing a worldview is reading our Bible because there are so many worldviews that we're surrounded by daily, so many different explanations for how life works. And I need, I need, I need my Bible to help me refocus on what is God's perspective on the world. And that is an important, important habit in our life. So if the first one is developing a Christian worldview, learning to see the whole world, everything, that God's a part of it. The second one is to commit to community. Commit to community. The author of this study that I spoke of encouraged college students to meet regularly with other people who are following God to develop this habit of faithfulness. The writer in Hebrews says it, it exactly. It says, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. I think we're all acutely aware of the impact of friends and how they shape our worldview. So this is the part in the message where you know I'm going to say, it'd be great if you were in a growth group. <laughs> or it'd be great if you were serving on a team. And I want you to know, nobody told me to say that. And that is not, the reason we say it is not because it's good for Seabreeze. We say it because it's good for you. It's what you want to do if you want a life of faithfulness. You want to meet regularly with other people who are followers of God. Do it for you. Do it for selfish reasons. Meet regularly. Recently, I've been reorganizing a bookshelf, and um, I got caught up in reorganizing because I, I found some photo albums that I, you know how you sit down and you kind of get stuck in them. And I found one from a women's retreat about 20 years ago. And it was really fun to see faces of people who are still here walking faithfully. And the best part about it was I thought I could see each of those people. I could see how God had worked fruit in them. He didn't zap them. But I could see that 20 years of faithfully following God, how it had worked that fruit in them. Um, and I thought they've seen a lot of good and bad in me. They're still here. They're sharing in this walk of faithfulness. I, I really think there's tremendous, tremendous value in long-term commitments to community. But, but kind of an interesting thing is, even though I've been here and have those familiar faces of 20 and 30 years, 
I, I find myself still every two or three years needing to kind of readjust my community because new people come that I want to include. Other people move away and I kind of have to readjust for myself because I want to remain faithful so I have to make those community readjustments to stay committed. So I'm going to encourage you to establish this Christian worldview as a habit and then commit to the community. The last one is to seek out mentors. You can see how this would be an obvious encouragement to college students to seek out mentors, people who they can learn from, who are ahead of them in faith, who are walking out their faith. And um, Paul in 1 Corinthians 11.1 1, doesn't use the word mentor, but he talks about follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Paul describes we need examples to follow, examples that are following the example of Christ. For me in my 20s and college and my first job, I was so fortunate to have like a different woman at each of those stages who spent an inordinate time with me, an inordinate amount of time with me. And I don't know where I would be without them, honestly. They helped me get on the path. One of them in particular often challenged me about the way I was thinking about certain things. And I'm so grateful for them, along with my parents, who helped me start on a path. Um, but you know what? At every stage of life, we need to see people ahead of us. How are they following God in that next stage of life? I, I found myself recently extremely encouraged by friends who've passed away. When I've gotten to see them walk all the way to the end of their life and see what faithfulness looked like, it's given me great courage. If, if community is there to encourage us, I think having people ahead of you they're what inspires you. You know, they're the ones that lead us on. So these are the, um, these are the habits of faithfulness that I would encourage you to build into your life in order to stay on track. In conclusion, I want to leave you with this verse from Hebrews 10, 23. It's a great partnering kind of verse with God. Because it says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. It says that God is faithful. He promises to be faithful. Now my part is to hold on to this faith, to build habits, to look for people who are walking this walk of faith, and to hold on to it so that we can work together in building faithfulness in me. Thank you. Let me pray for you. <clears throat> Father, thank you. You are a God of faithfulness. And Father, we, we question you often. Um, we're not sure if you're faithful to us. Sometimes our lives seem complicated and we wonder where you are. But God, I thank you for these promises that you are faithful to us. And um, Father, I pray that I would treasure them in my heart. I pray that we would all treasure them in our heart. And then Father, I pray that I would um, not be not be unfaithful to build these habits of faithfulness, Father, but that I would uh, lean on my community, that I would seek out mentors, and that I would constantly try to look to expand you into all areas of my life. And Father, we, we thank you, and we appreciate you, and we, we look forward to seeing you one day. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.